All right, let's uh, let's begin. Um, okay, Parshat Valotcha is a big parsha um, in terms of uh, the events that take place, and I want to just uh, focus on what happens with Miriam, uh, who lost uh, horror against Moshe Rabbeinu, um, and uh, and the corollaries of that particular event. But I, I want to, I mean, I'm going to sort of share it with you in a way that uh, I was looking at a, I was looking at a, a particular, uh, let's call it a perspective. Uh, I was like trying to figure this out and I, and I haven't really achieved what I wanted to. Um, so I'll just let you in on it and then just show you where I think it's going to go. Um, yeah, yeah, but let's just like sketch the background of what happens over here with uh, with Tzipora, with Moshe Rabbeinu's, um, you know, criticism, criticism of Moshe Rabbeinu via Miriam. So, um, as follows, there's a, uh, when we look at how the Torah relates um, to the journey of Am Yisrael towards uh, Eretz Yisrael, so what, what we find is as follows, that um, Am Yisrael uh, are in a place um called Chatzairot, uh, and they they come there, um, I guess it's very close to the time of year that we're in now, they arrive at this place called Chatzairot on the 22nd of Sivan, um, and um, they, uh, they, they hear the trumpets blast, uh, signaling that they should um, pack up again, and um, embark upon a new and you, uh, the journey towards Eretz Israel, and so when they when they hear the trumpets, that's basically the sign to go. Um, they start; uh, everyone starts to pack up, and um, and the way that the the midrashim describe what's going on here is that um, as they're about to to leave, um, all of a sudden Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, you know, orders orders the travel arrangements to cease. And every, so everybody's in the middle of this kind of a uh, position where you're expecting to catch the plane, and now there's been a delay, and um, and somehow the whole movement of Klal Israel towards uh, the land of Israel um, is on is on pause. The question is, you know, what happened? What caused the the journey to stop? So. What we understand based on the Psukim and the Mephoshim on Torah that, that write about this, uh, essentially, we all know that Moshe Rabbeinu requests uh, that there's a that, that a Sanhedrin be appointed to help him deal with the people of Israel. And um, the nature of this Sanhedrin and or, or of and and how it was supposed to function, we already get a background to this you know um when when um you know when all these 70 different people are appointed together with Moshe Rabbeinu to create this uh, 71 person or judge Sanhedrin now th the appointment of all these particular people was something that was uh the midrash compares it to a uh, to a yontif of sorts you know it was um all these, all the seventy elders, the Zakanim as such, were elected to to become judges for Klal Yisrael, and there was a great simcha. This, 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 this took place now a couple of months, uh, you know, you know, before, 
And um, at the time that this took place, so uh, the various, you know, the, the Midrash records like a kind of a discussion between um, between between the the uh, Miriam and and Sipora. And the, the so-called the the microphone picks picks it up, and what happens is is that um, more uh, Miriam and and Sipora are are standing there, you know, observing what what what's going on, and um, Miriam says to Sipora, "How fortunate the wives of these uh, these prophets, these Kainim are." Um, in other words, it's such a big honor for them. Uh, you know that th that their husbands have been chosen to be the leaders, of the Dayonim in the Sanhedrin. You know for Klal Israel. So um, you know the 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 midrash then um, gives us an an insight into what happens there, and that is that Sipora uh, remarks to Miriam, and she says to her, "What what are you so happy about?" You know, um, Miriam gets a bit of a shock as to what she's she's you know. What do you mean? So she says, "Well, now they're you know these people will be like living widows. You know, they they, they get prophecy. They become the leaders of Klalisvel, and now what we can expect is that their husbands will separate from them. You know, and at, at, as as Tzipora uh, says this, you know, the midrash sort of gives us an uh, an an into Miriam's um, you know mind and how her mind is working, and all of a sudden." A few dots join for her, and she looks at at Sipora, and she notices that Sipora's appearance is just not—it's not Bukovic. It's not like she hasn't, um, you know, she hasn't dressed up, makeup. She hasn't taken care of herself. Uh, and um, Miriam says to her, "Well, you know, what do you mean by the fact that they're going to be separated? Why don't you? Why don't you like you know, dress appropriately?" Um, you know, you you basically the first lady, Lavdil, you know, and um, and what and what the the, the Mephoshim point out is that that goes through Miriam's mind is that Sipora is not looking nearly as attractive as she could be. They they haven't in her mind they haven't engaged in having children, um, and she was worried about all of this. Um, you know, she then she then um, pushes. She pushes Tsipora to tell her, um, you know, what, what the problem is. And Tsipora says, well, um, my husband is separated from me from the day that Hashem began to speak to him, panim al panim, face to face. Um, and, uh, and as a result, now Miriam's feeling terrible that there's, uh, there's, there's trouble, you know, between Moshe Rabbeinu and Tsipora. So... Um, it's not clear exactly what did Moshe Rabbeinu divorce Sipora or did he separate from her and 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 they still marry. Um, but either way, there's it's not deal. So Miriam decides to go to Aaron and 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 see what he he thinks. For he so they go to Aaron, and Aaron says, "Well, um, don't we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu needs to be uh, tahor, pure, all the 
at any time of this particular and and Miriam said to to receive communicate from a coach Baruch none of us have separated from our uh, spouses so why does Moshe Rabbeinu you know he has to do so you know with with Sipora anyway you know Aaron, Aaron sort of eventually agrees arguments and um and the the two of them I mean, are guilty of speaking uh, and horror against uh, now it sounds Aaron is, is for not testing against Miriam and, and her for speaking out against Moshe. Um, and, and and Miriam of Gaida of the of the Lord. Now there's this story. Um uh, how do we, um Miriam's allowed Miriam's allowed to 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 question um yeah um to question it but but essentially she's um put in a way that she doesn't um overstep a, a, a boundary and start to criticize it in other words to understand what uh that possibly is mutar you know but to um but to but to to go past a certain point uh and and that's another issue now it's interesting you know this this idea that um that uh Miriam feels that her responsibility just just with uh you know with iron but the the other midrashim as well which come to play over here and um she basically you know uh brings to you know brings to light this concept of um Tzipora's being a kushit a kushit now what does that mean exactly that Moshe Rabbeinu um you know took an isha kushit so um some people understand that um you know like rashi rashi bases himself on Chazal, that um just as you know just as uh it's undeniably clear that that a, that a black person is black uh, that's how clear it was that sipora was beautiful and and great that's how rashi interprets you know moshabenu taking uh this isha kushit it it refers to tipora um that's 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 rashi's interpretation that's interesting that there are other mafarshim um where the the phrase isha kushit actually refers to another woman that was offered to moshe Rabbeinu, um when he was much younger so this uh this Rabbeinu had a kush a cushy wife. This is this is based on a on a on a on a historical um episode that Moshe Rabbeinu left me left me try when he was much younger and he, he fled to Africa before going to Midian and he became he became a leader of, of this people in of Kush. I don't know, Kush could be Ethiopia, and he was given he was given a shirach as a you know 
as a queen, so to speak, uh, to you know, in marriage when he was in Kush, and um, and and therefore this Ishak Kushit is another interpretation as to as to uh, who this who this who this was. Um, nevertheless, what happens is is that 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 particular lady that was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, um, he separated from her, um, or he wouldn't, he wouldn't consummate the marriage with her, um, even though she was given to him as the queen. This interpretation, you know, you find it in the writings of the Malvim. Shat Kushit is, is somebody else, not Sipora. But, but either way, the Midrash is being too where whether whether it's Sipora we're talking about, and Miriam is now you know talking to Aaron and criticizing Moshe Rabbeinu uh, as as a result of Shak Kushita Shelakach. So it's either because he's not behaving appropriately with Sipora, or it's because um, they're reflecting back on on what happened to him as was told to 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 them about about Sipora, and they were saying. Look, he was maybe he was he had the right not to marry somebody who was given to him. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, maybe he he didn't feel appropriate at the time. So that cushy woman, fine, he could he could write from or, or divorce or leave. But 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 to do it to Tzipora, and that's how this kind of you know Ishak Kushita Shelakach is interpreted over here. You know, bottom line is that that they were that they were engaged in this conversation. And um, and uh, and and they and they were ups- they were really upset about it. And um, the, the, there's a there's a midrash which the Sifri seems to say that Moshe Rabbeinu might have even heard the discussion. Now that Moshe Rabbeinu picked up uh, whether he actually was in earshot or or, or or prophetically somehow he he was able to hear what was going on and what was spoken about him. Anyway. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, hearing this particular this conversation, he decided in, in his humility to ignore the conversation and um, and uh, and and leave it alone. And uh, somehow Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't offended by it. Maybe they never he he in his own mind never understood him properly. Um, and anyway, he he left it, he left it alone. But um, Baruch Hu was really uh, upset about it, you know. Hashem took uh, took offense, so to speak, and and then Hashem now comes to defend, uh, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu by by telling Aaron and Miriam that the argument that uh, all prophets receive communique from Hakadosh Baruch Hu yet have no problem remaining married was inapplicable to Moshe Rabbeinu's level. Moshe Rabbeinu was the unique human being in all. of history and therefore for whatever reason Hashem uh, you know uh, approved of Moshe Rabbeinu's behavior um, this was something that they needed to appreciate and as a result of this um, you know all of a sudden and they were they were in they were in trouble now it's question of with the iron also at Sarat or not, and how long it lasted on him. You know, some say that he got it and then it just disappeared. But Miriam's Miriam's really uh you know stayed you know stayed with her and she was now 
she was now uh, diagnosed as having as having Torah. Okay, as a result of all of this, um, Akosh Baruch came along and said, "Now that you have Torah, you have to you have to leave the Machane. You've got to leave the actual camp of Israel, and um, and uh, because because you was such a tzaddikus when uh, in general." And um, and uh, but you looked after Moshe Rabbeinu as a little baby. Um, we, I will, I will, uh, kind of a minute in minute will, uh, you know, will be applied over here. And because you waited for Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, when he was a, a, long, a young baby to see what would happen to him, you know, on the river Nile, um, so midah and midah, you know, um. We will, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll wait for you. And so th- this, this kind of scenario is, uh, is played out in, uh, you know, in, in the, in, in the Gomorrah and the Midrashim. Okay, fine. So, so this is, this is the basic story that we all know. And all of Clarissa wait for, for, for Miriam until she, until she recovers. Now, yeah, he has my. Yeah, was my. But he has my particular question. You know, whenever, whenever any of us, you know, um, go through a kind of a uh, a critical moment in in our lives, whenever there's there's ups and downs, you have to make big decisions. So we always we always look to understand what Hashem, the Yad of Hashem, to see Hashem's hand. You know. This is a thing that uh, that all people of Emuna uh, engage in, and so I asked myself, you know, what what was the, you know, what was the, um, what was the Ashgacha, what was the Ashgacha Pratit, the you know Hashem's divine providence here in. Um, in, in this event, in other words, as a result of you know what what happened to her? Did did any did any good come out of this besides that she had good intention, carried out appropriately, she was punished, and then she came out the other end all fine, so to speak. But so so what happened as a result? What happened to Miriam? Has anything happened to her that uh, you know there was a silver lining in all of this? And number two, um, how, how did it, how did it affect Israel? Um, you're talking about millions of people, you know, waiting uh, episode. And we don't, we don't get a clear indication of, because we, we waited an extra week uh, in this particular place. Where this happened and therefore that happened. And I was just, Questioning in my mind, you know, how to, how to see this, how to see the Yad Hashem, you know, in in the fact that there was this kind of, uh, you know, a delay. Anyway, what uh, what I was able was that the army Drashim that uh, that teach us as follows, uh, and that is that you know, there's an, an, an a real interesting concept here. The Gemara in Masechet Sota. That we just did sort of whatever a month ago in the in the Dafyomi. So um 
the idea came to me from from the Gemara there. But the Gemara says is that um, Miriam, Miriam was uh, Miriam suffered as a as a health health wise as a as a young girl. Um, not exactly sure how or what she contracted, but bottom line is that you know just like Bob's Esther is having a kind of a uh, greenish or weak, sickly complexion. So the same thing is true here with Miriam. Um, and it, you know, basically seems to say that it, it was a result of the stress that she was under from young age um, with Moshe Rabbeinu and uh, the so-called massive job that was imposed upon her together with her mother um you know being a midwife uh, in uh, in Mitzrayim and you know dealing with the babies and hiding the babies and 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 you know being hauled in front of all of that somehow it affected her health wise and um i don't know how to describe it exactly other other than to say to you that you know she 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 did not look she was sickly looking and as a result of this she couldn't find a shirach either people were scared of her that i don't know it's a hereditary thing it's not clear exactly but you know no one no one would marry her and so she she as a lady was single uh for 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 many many years now um interesting is that many years later miriam found a shirach and she was suggested as a shirach for kalei ben yafune you know he virtual person um and he and he said to himself look she's the sister of the greatest tzaddik around you know there's moshe and there's aaron um surely she's a fantastic shirach and therefore um he married he married her now the the so-called surprise was the age gap so the you know the um, the age gap between Kalev and Miriam is like 40 plus years. Uh, so she's older than him by, by 40 years. Anyway, he took her as a wife and the, and the, the son that, that was born from Kalev and Miriam was Hur. And, uh, and the grandson was Betzalel, who was the architect of, of the Mishkan. So... Kalev marrying Miriam, Lashem Shamayim, you know, produced uh, these great Chur uh, and 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 Bitzala. So, okay, now he has he has something interesting. Um, the Medrash in Shmot Rabbah, and which is quoted by the Marsha in Masechet Sota, uh, tells us as follows: that when Miriam was 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 struck with Tzarat, so she became she didn't just become. Uh, she didn't just get the, the skin color change. She actually became mamish ill and um, added to her already unhealthy or weakened situation that was basically fatal. And even after the tzarat was, uh, you know, disappeared, she remained very, very weak. And uh, Kalev, you know, tried as much as he could and, and nursed her back to health with various uh, the knowledge that he had of whatever natural medicines there were, uh, he he was able to to heal her back. Now 
when eventually she recuperates, um, everybody was like over the moon, or at least the, the, the family was over the moon because they, they never thought she'd recover. Now, yeah, she recovers, you know, to, to full health. And so as, as a result of this, an interesting happened. When she got to the level where she was, you know, she was alive and, 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 and recovered, but still weak. So they were so grateful. So the Midrash says that they, uh, in order to thank Akash Baruch Hu for uh, being able to heal her back, they created like a, I don't know if you want to call it a deal, what people do today, they renewed their vows. They made like another Sheva Brothers. They had a, like another wedding. So he had a, he had a big Suda. Um, and it was if, almost as if he was marrying her for the first time. And as a result of that suit, that Hoda, uh, that, 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 that second marriage or whatever, what you want to, whatever you want to call it, a nice happened. And Miriam was mamish uh, rejuvenated. And all of a sudden she became, uh, she looked like a young girl again. And so, um, you know, essentially she had this, she had this, she was okay to this miracle of rejuvenation um, as a kind of a, Kind of a schar min hashemayim, a reward from Hakadosh Baruch Hu for for having risked her life as a young child uh, for Moshe Rabbeinu's welfare. And Yochevet is the same thing. Yochevet also had this this miracle, um, and as a result of disobeying Paro's orders to kill Jewish babies, um, you know they they were also given this this miracle of rejuvenation. So Yochevet has children at the age of 130. And 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 Miriam goes through this whole story of 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 of, of a journey of note until eventually, you know, she was always the sickly-looking older spinster who couldn't find a shidduch. Now becomes the mother, the wife, the mother, the grandmother, and she looks younger than everybody else on the block. So this is kind of um, an interesting uh, outgrowth of of this particular. Um, episode i mean i don't know how to interpret it properly but to say that she wouldn't have achieved this or hashem wouldn't have done this for her it's quite possible to say that she would have okay she's miriam married to kalev had her kids but she's always carrying this uh this this physical weakness with her um maybe as a result of the yad hashem in all of this is that she was so worried about moshe rabbeinu as an infant now she's worrying about you know his marriage. She's 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 upset for Tzipora. All of this has a l'shem shamayim um, intention. Okay, she made a mistake in how she dealt with it. Um, but the idea behind it was is that there's there's, there's a yada Hashem in all of this. That as a result of this episode, Miriam was uh, was, was was cured. And um, anyway, it was just one interesting. Uh, you know, track that I was able to follow up on, um, trying to work out what is the, so to speak, the Ashgoche in all of this, what is the silver lining in this cloud of uh, of Miriam's uh, Tzarat. Now, what I want to uh, share with you is is very much uh, my imagination going going a little wild over here. And... Um, it's 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 just because I was thinking about it, but I think I'm going to say it over Blinada in Shul on Shabbos. But uh, I just think it's just a, it became a fascinating thing for me. Um, 
you know, going back many, many decades, um, I was always somebody who loved uh, reading history. Um, and there was a kind of a, a motivation. I was once in a particular shiur where a sefer by the name of the Temach David, written by David Gans, who was a Talmud of the Ramah, uh, he wrote a sefer, which was a book of history. Um, and he was a very interesting character from a so-called, uh, you know, I would be kind of like, I think I'd be accurate in saying that he was a real Torah Umada kind of guy. He was like, he was into astrology and science, and he was into uh, history, not just Jewish history, secular history. And he, and he writes, he writes in his Sefer that, that history is a noble pursuit because uh, all types of history, because if you study history uh, with the right, with the right lenses, you'll see the Yad Hashem, um, you know, shining out the clearer of the, in, in the details of every story, you know, in, in history. And so I was particular, you know, I, for whatever reason, my aptitude was, uh, was to enjoy history, the stories, the details. And, um, so, you know, just for fun, I like to read, I like to read history when I have a, when I have an opportunity. Anyway, I was asking myself this question, this, this, uh, you know, this week I was saying to myself, what, what has Gokha is there when Amisrael waited for a week because Miriam had Sarat, you know, the other stories about the other stories in the, in, in the Midrashim that talk about the silver lining that takes place to a person who's put through a tzarat, um scenario. Uh, and, and it all works around the same idea where a person is shown, a person's got to be on a very high madrega to, to be struck with tzarat. It sounds like you should be a bar lotion and horror, but, but from the Midrashim and the that it's like Hashem only bothers with people who are on a madrega on uh, with that level of strictness. So a person who's who's mamish a good person and he speaks lotion horror, so Kushwaruku will come down on them so that they can learn and grow and come out the other side after recuperating from the Tarat, you know, a, a, a much greater person. So you see that, you know, see that the, you see that all the time. The Midrashim point out a person will uh, you know will be struck with Tarat, uh, his house, for example. And then, you know, you have to pull out the, the, the bricks that have got Tarat on and you, you get the, you get the so-called uh, parable in the, in the Midrashim that, uh, this guy's crying because he has to now, uh, rip out his, 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 uh, the one side of his house and essentially, uh, you know, render the house an absolute wreck and have to go through the expense to rebuild it. And in the Midrash says a person who would have a Muna that he has to do it and follow through with it, um, would find a treasure when he dug, he redug the foundations of his house to rebuild it. That's the kind of parable. Anyway, I was just trying to reflect and, 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 you know, I asked myself the question, you know, can I recall in history, uh, where, where, where people were saved as a result, you know, a whole group of people like, you know, were saved as a result of somebody getting tarat. Anyway, so this is what I well, this is what I want to just share with you. It's kind of like a, a personal conjecture on this, but um, you know, when I was thinking about it, I, I was reminded of a of a, a piece of history, which um, which we actually, uh, so to speak, commemorate today. Not not just today, but the last week. You know, from the 
the 4th of June through to the 8th of June, um, I recalled a particular event in history. And I, you know, I'd, uh, you know, I just knew about it, but, but the amount of detail that I, that I knew about it wasn't, wasn't that much. And um, I don't know, about 10, 15 years ago, I'd, I'd, read, I'd, I'd read about it. And there were a number of different essays that I'd, I'd read. And uh, there, was one particular, um, there was one particular detail in the story that I want to share with you. And you'll see why I'm like, uh, quite excited about it on a, on, on a personal level. But um, the story, you know, the, starting June 4th, it's June 4th, 1942. And uh, the so-called date that, that that commemorates was on Sunday this, this past week. And it goes all the way through. But, but there's a basic story that takes place in the middle of the Second World War. And uh, the story, the piece of history that I want to just look at is called um, The Battle or the Miracle at Midway. You know, I don't know if you know much about it, but, but Midway is, a, um, is an island. It's an island that uh, really, when you look at it on the map, you know, is absolutely nothing. Seriously, that that the the size of the island is is seriously small, and um, it's a uh, it's 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 something that should not even make it into the the history books, but um, but it does. So I'll just tell you the the basic story, and then um, you know I'll just encourage you to to uh, to watch the documentary on it because. They've really done a good job. Uh, you know, I forget exactly the title of the movie, but it's called Midway. Um, um, the Battle of Midway, the Miracle at Midway. Uh, you know, bottom line is it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic story. Um, but let me try and summarize it for you um, and then demonstrate why I was excited to recall this, uh, this particular um, historical battle. Now, uh, the battle is between Japan the empire of Japan and, and America. And this is now, you know, June 1942. Now, the Americans have been smashed at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. So when, when Japan attacks Pearl Harbor, most of us know that, that story quite well. But bottom line is the casualties were massive. The, the American, the American uh, fleet was decimated it was a it was a it was a terrible terrible time for america the ashgocha was that uh america you know insisted on remaining neutral and of course Baruch sent them a message uh loud and clear that you can't stay neutral when the world is at war you've got to you've got to come in on the side of of of, of good anyway that, that i think is uh possibly a well-known uh, understanding of, of of what the message was of of of, the, of Pearl Harbor. You know, bottom line is these these were the darkest days for America, and um, it didn't just it didn't just uh, end with Pearl Harbor. You know, from Pearl Harbor on, almost every single week there was there there were there were Japanese victories uh, in the Far East against America. You know. The amount of land that they captured, the amount of you know um, ships that they sunk, it was Japan was incredible. Japan was a world power. Japan was strong, motivated, well trained, well equipped. It was 
Japan was very, very dangerous. Anyway, the the yeah, yeah, the point was is that the Americans had to bounce back. And of course, Morocco, obviously Hashem saw that America was on the side of of of, of good and therefore gave them the Siadishmaya to to recover and eventually to be victorious. Now, part of America trying to regain uh, the psychological um, you know, uh, backbone that had been smashed in Pearl Harbor and subsequent uh, uh, attacks by the Japanese. So they had to do something to try and um, build the morale again and demonstrate that they, you know, that they've, they've got a thick skin and they've got, they've got backbone and they, can, and they can go and fight. So they were looking to try and, uh, you know, perpetrate these, these missions which would, uh, which would do this. Anyway, one of the biggest morale boosters that uh, President Roosevelt, uh, you know, ordered was what was called the, the Doolittle Raid. Anyway, there was a, you know, in April 1942, there was a, a fellow by the name of uh, Lieutenant Colonel James Doolittle, and um, he, he, he flew, he led a squadron of 16, you know, B-25 bombers, and uh, he he uh, he did something that was extraordinary. Um, it wasn't even so much that he caused so much destruction by dropping an, an incredible amount of bombs. It wasn't even that at all. It was it was that they were that they were breaking the the ceiling of how far planes could fly from America, you know, towards Japan. And so, in those days, they understood how much fuel planes uh, had and how far they could they could fly now they the right ra- the raid was taken you know off uh, an aircraft carrier um but but the bottom line was is that they flew without you know they, they took a risk they flew to create the impression that 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 japan did not really help how powerful the american aircraft were um they flew almost knowing that they would run out of fuel and they would have no way of getting back. Um, and, and that allowed them to sort of, if you, if you will, double their distance. Nobody normally does that. Anyway, they did it. And uh, the, the psychological advantage was is that the, the raid flew over mainland Japan. And literally the bombers actually flew right over the imperial palace of the emperor himself. And uh, you know they didn't they didn't bomb the palace they bombed elsewhere, but it wasn't so much in hindsight. History seems to teach us that it wasn't so much the the the, the bombs that they dropped that day, but it was the the ceiling that they shattered because the the emperor in Japan and the military had promised mainland Japan very much like 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 Germany had promised the Germans that there would be no you know. We we have we have the place protected. There's no way the enemy, the allies, could get through, and Berlin won't be bombed. And the same thing through over here. You know, mainland Japan wouldn't be bombed either. So by bombing them, that was the real uh, achievement over here. And um, this is this is the success of the particular uh, raiders uh, as well. You know. So um, anyway, bottom line is that the, part of this kind of um, charade that was played out there there's so much psychological tactical warfare here as well as the actual physical uh, battle 
So anyway, President Roosevelt, he basically informed reporters that, that the raid had originated, you know, from a, a city in Tibet called the Shangri-La, you know. Um, anyway, but the bottom line is it was a charade. It was, it was, it was, no, they didn't fly from a, a, a you know, they, couldn't, they, didn't have the, they didn't have the gas to get that far. They actually been launched from a from a ship from a from an aircraft carrier called the the Hornets. You know, it was an aircraft carrier which was uh, stationed several hundred miles east of Japan. Um, anyway, so the the point was is that really they were they were aiming for um, you know they they were supposed they were supposed to be launched from uh, you know from the Hornet this this ship you know which is I don't know anywhere between four hundred and fifty and six hundred and fifty miles from Japan. Um, and and uh, and Ashgocha was that there was an enemy patrol boat, um, you know, um, had been spotted by the Americans, and and they and they were nervous that their presence had been discovered, uh, and so as a result of them being nervous about losing this whole surprise, therefore they they instead of launching the 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 airplanes from. 450 miles from Japan and and hopefully allowing them to yes come back they they, they took the decision that they're going to launch from 800 miles from Japan and so um you know bottom line is they they dropped their bombs on various uh, factories and and military installations and then knowing that they couldn't get back they headed out across the, the East China Sea and knowing that they'd have to bail out into the sea and and they, they, you know, they. I suppose they gave their survival to Akush Baruch so to speak. Um, anyway, they, they, uh, they, you know, um, most of them parachuted to safety, and they were picked up by friendly Chinese. Um, there were there were four of them who drowned, and was bailed, uh, killed when he was bailing out. And then, you know, bottom line is that the the, the Japanese captured eight of them. And they, as you know, the Japanese, they are as cruel as anything. And they Mamish uh, executed these, uh, these unfortunate uh, uh, pilots. Uh, anyway, bottom line is it was, uh, that, that was the kind of Hidush uh, that took place called the, the Doolittle Raid, okay? Anyway, so th this, uh, this story at Midway, uh, the Midway Island is tiny. Uh, it's basically, it was a, it was a landing strip and and a base to a few hundred soldiers and it and it was about 1300 miles west of pearl harbor and the whole point of it was it was a, it served as a an early warning outpost to to prevent the japanese from attacking again the way that's been surprised um you know during the pearl harbor attack anyway so uh japan decided that they're going to um they're going to they lead, lead lead the American fleet into a, a trap, and they're going to destroy the navy. And uh, and they 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 decided to do this. They said that the Japan said that they're going to send out um, uh, intelligence through the the network. Uh, they're going to send out a message, and they're going to say that they're going to attack Pearl. They're going to attack the American fleet. Uh, um, at mid at midway you know, and they're gonna it's another piece of land they're going to uh, uh defeat and uh and capture from the americans and they and they they uh they let the message go um on the various wireless um to be picked up by the americans 
So Americans think, oh, the Japanese fleet is moving to attack and capture Midway. We're going to send all our boats from you know, our aircraft carriers and whatever destroyers we've got, we're going to send them uh, to, uh, to defend that battle of Midway and, uh, and um, you know, defeat, the, defeat Japan. Um, now, what, what, the, what Japan had, had done was that they, were, that they know now the Americans are going to come and defend themselves. So what they were going to do was they're going to send the Japanese fleet, um, you know, to, towards this island. But they're going to do it in such a way that, you know, they're going to try and get all of the Americans, you know, the Americans are going to come and send all of their, their fleets to come, uh, to come along and, uh, and, and, and lay themselves at the Japanese. And then the Japanese are going to have another fleet coming on uh, later, which will defeat the, the Americans. Now, if you, if you look at the statistics on this particular raid, you know, the Americans were completely outnumbered, completely outnumbered. Literally, the, that's why it was called the miracle at Midway, because uh, bottom line is, is that there was a, a Japanese force of 185 ships coming against 33 U.S. Navy ships. And uh, that's why it was, you know, it's like a, you know, the David versus Goliath scenario over here. And um, bottom line is it's, it's actually unbelievable how they managed to win this particular uh, battle. Um, they were completely, completely outnumbered. The Americans completely outnumbered, and um, so the question was: So what happened? How did how did our coach Baruchu, how did Das Gocha allow them to allow them to win? Uh, anyway, one of the interesting parts is is that there were certain there were two key guys that were working as intelligence officers, uh, breaking the codes of the Japanese, uh, and they managed to break through a code and they intercepted a radio message of of an attack, and so they knew they knew this attack. And they knew um, when it was going to happen. It was June 4th. But they never knew where. They, they never knew where. Anyway, they, the, the, these two guys, they sent out a, they sent out a, a, a phony message um, you know, to Pearl Harbor. There was a whole disagreement between the intelligence guys um, uh, over at, at, at Midway and the guys in Washington. And anyway... They sent out a phony message, which said that um, that that they sent a message to Pearl Harbor saying that the mid, the Midway Island, you know, was low on vital drinking water due to a breakdown of the water plant. And and when they sent out that phony message, the Japanese intercepted the message, and then they sent out another message in Japanese, uh, where the Japanese were saying to each other that that they sent a message to Tokyo saying. Ah, the water plant, uh, you know, at, at Midway was uh, was was broken. So they that's how they found out that the battle was actually going to be at, at at Midway. You know, bottom line is that, you know, the the battle the battle the battle the battle begins. And at you know, again, the Japanese at first seem to be completely on 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 uh, you know on top of this thing. Anyway. One of the one of the interesting one of the interesting uh, facts about the story um, is is like this that um, the Japanese knew the various the various um, people the, the who who were the who were the, the top brass of the Americans uh, the American fleet in other words who were the commanders who were the admirals who who was running it. And based on their understanding of the characters of the various people, they uh, 
you know, they were going to lay their trap and, and, and uh, you know, sort of entrap the Americans to come after them. Anyway, so something interesting, the, the, the admiral that was supposed to be, um, who, who was supposed to be leading, you know, the, the Americans, um, is a, the, 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 it was a, was a fellow um, by, the, by, the, by, the, by the, there were, there were a number of admirals in, involved, right? So um, anyway, the, 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 the what you call the, the admiral who, who was supposed to be leading everything was a guy by the name of, of Halsey. And um, he, he basically was a, he was known, the Japanese knew his, his, his temperament. He, he was known to the Japanese for being extremely aggressive. And he would have he would have fallen into this trap because the Japanese would have made as if they're being defeated and they were then going to turn um, to go, you know, to retreat. And, the, and, and, the, and they expected the Japanese, the American admiral, to come after them. Uh, and his personality suggested he would come after them. And there was like an even more major force waiting for them a couple of hundred miles away. And then they would just like sail into the into this massive um, armada of, of Japanese ships. Anyway, the, what what happened was the Ashgokha, because what was Ashgokha, um, had, this, had this Admiral Halsey, you know, um, this aggressive guy, he was, he was called Bull, uh, you know, Bull Halsey. Um, believe it or not, Bull Halsey came down with a rash, a stomach rash. It was a, they didn't know what it was. It ended up being shingles. But 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 he's leading he's leading this whole armada, the the fleet of the Americans. He comes up with a skin rash. That's all it was. It was a rash. Anyway, because of this rash, you know, they didn't know exactly what it was. Like it was a skin disease just before the battle, and they they uh, they put him in hospital in Pearl Harbor, and he missed the entire battle. And as a result of him getting tsarat, if you excuse my imagination, yeah, this little skin rash took this aggressive general off the main ship, put him in a hospital in, in Pearl Harbor, and after a week he was cured. The guy, like, uh, he was done, he was finished, he was there for a week, you know, and as a result of that, the, the replacement was a fellow by the name of Admiral Raymond Spruance, however you say his name, and he was a he, he was much less experienced than this Halsey, a, a very capable guy, but he was the temporary replacement. But, but he was exactly the opposite of, uh, as, as a character. He was very conservative. So the, Americ the Japanese didn't know that Halsey was, was, was replaced and that he never took place in this battle. And therefore they continued, they expected the American fleet to pursue the surviving ships, you know, of uh, the Admiral Nagumo's task force, who, who's the is the what you call the, the Japanese fellow, and that, that they would sail into an ambush that could have led, led to absolute disaster. Um, and then and the sinking of the two remaining uh, aircraft carriers, of the American aircraft carriers. But, but yeah, the Yad Hashem intervenes, and Halsey gets uh, this, this Tsarat, so to speak, you know, and he would have been there. He probably would have continued and fallen into the trap. This Admiral Spruance 
was very, he said, no, guys, let's not be uh, ambitious over here and chase after the Japanese. We've had an amazing victory against their, their, their planes. And, um, and therefore, he, he, didn't, he didn't pursue Nagumo's fleet. And, uh, and after about a day you know, of waiting where the, the, the big armada of the Japanese uh, the, the, the Admiral Yamamoto was waiting for the Japanese to fall into the trap the, the Americans and he saw the Americans weren't coming so he withdrew his force and he, he never realized that it was a simple uh, skin element that saved the that saved the Americans so that was just like a kind of a uh, uh, you know a, a, uh, it just went through my head as a kind of a Halash Gokha works to save people I mean he, the historians write about this this battle at Midway, that it was much like a turning point for the Americans in the war. And even though, of course, the war carried on for three years, but in terms of the Japanese, that battle of Midway, uh, because it was so soundly, uh, that they were, the Japanese were defeated by the Americans because of all the things that were going on there. Uh, this was just one little detail in the actual story. You know, the but 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 it's just it's just phenomenal the details of the story. Anyway, there are a number of essays. There's a there's a there's a there's a book that uh, an essay that was written by Rabbi Yaakov Astor, who uh, who talks about this this uh, as well. Uh, and he has he has some of these. Um, he doesn't make the point about the tsarat uh, as 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 I'm doing. He he ta- he talks about it. no he does he does he makes the point. My point was that. I looked up the date. What parasha was it? You know, in on of the week of June 4, 1942, which was the 19th of Sivan, and it was Parshat Balotrat. It was this week's parasha where Miriam gets Tsarat. And so I just made the the little jump, you know, to um, you know, to this particular story where sometimes a person can can contract a certain disease or can take you out of action for a little bit of time and you don't realize what the Ashgoch is doing. And for great people like Miriam. I don't know what the answer to my original question was. What was the Ashgocha, What was the silver lining in the Ashgocha of all of Amisal waiting, where millions of people, you know, stopped their journey towards Eretz Israel? You know, what was the Ashgocha there? And that I haven't worked out yet. But I, I just, I was fascinated by this historical example uh, on the on the same parsha that Miriam gets Tzarat, Um This Barotcha, that was the parsha that this particular fellow Halsey got his own skin ailment and uh, was part of the detail that stopped the, that saved the Americans at the time um, from falling into this trap in the, in the, the battle at, at, at Midway Island. You know, this was, uh, it was just something I was playing around with and uh, I just thought you'd enjoy the story. Okay. I've got to go, but beautiful. I love it. It was excellent. Okay, no worries at all. Okay, so we'll try and put this together for next week and, and the week after and just get a, a better roll on this. Okay, no worries. No okay. worries at all. That was amazing. Right. I think you should patent that chiddush. That was cute. No, I don't, really, that's amazing. I know what to do with that's it. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I was just like playing around with it. I picked up the essays again. I read, I read all the other history books I've got. Anyway, what I can encourage you to do, um, let me just... Uh, I can encourage you to watch the, the movie. Um, I found a documentary on it online. It's 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 uh, it's it's absolutely absolutely fascinating. And once you know the you know once you know this little uh, detail in the story, you you'll see it and you'll say, "Oh my God!" They put it in the movie. They didn't you know they didn't they didn't you know what I mean? It's like quite fascinating. 
The other thing that yeah, I was going to say, know, it's in the, the movie, other, that's incredible. That's, that's actually that's incredible. That's really incredible. The other thing that's fascinating, seriously fascinating. I mean, um, you know, it, it's it's unbelievable. But um, and one of the other issues that happened was that um, um, the Americans, the Americans, um, you know, survived the first attack. I mean, the first attack that the Japanese launched against them was absolutely brutal. There were hundreds of aircraft that were sent. Yeah, you, you cannot believe. I mean, the pictures that you see online, you know, and in the actual historical textbooks of, of the actual proper aircraft battle against anti-aircraft gunships. I mean, it was unbelievable. But, um, you know, the, the, anyway, what, what, was, what, was, uh, what was fascinating is as follows, that um, just as on the American side, there was an admiral who was replaced, um, the same thing is true on the Japanese side, believe it or not. Uh, history records that there was a, um, the admiral that was really supposed to be in charge, you know, of the, of the battle uh, was a fellow by the name of Minoru Genda. You know, he was, he was the, he was like the, the fellow that was supposed to be operating this. Now, the Admiral Nagumo was a, was, he was an old school naval officer and he, he didn't really have his hand on the pulse, his finger on the pulse of the latest um, strategies in naval air warfare. And so he, he relied heavily on, on, this, on this brilliant uh, officer, the Genda, who had worked out the plans for the attack on Pearl Harbor. And he's the same guy that's supposed to be uh, getting into this battle of Midway. Anyway, believe it or not, just before the battle, Genda becomes sick. And he couldn't even leave with the attackers. And, and some speculate that if he would have been well uh, and he wouldn't have allowed uh, Nagumo to make the mistakes that he made, uh, which, which, which he did make, fantastic mistakes he made. Um, but, um, but that's also Ashgocha that you see years later as to, as to what happened over here. You know, it's, uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. And one of the mistakes that he made was that when they never took the, when they never took the island in the first attack, um, they should have come back for a second attack, and they were going to. But um, what, what happened was, is Nagumo, uh, you know, ordered all the planes to reload with torpedoes to wipe out the American naval fleet. But it takes time to reload all the bombs. Um, and as a result of the fact that they had, you, had, you had bombs and you had torpedoes, they, they're very different, right? The torpedoes, you know, hit the water and they fly towards the ship. But, but as a result of running out of time to replace the, the bombs, normally what happens is the bombs go down into a, into a bomb, into a, what they call the magazine. It's a protected cavity deep in the, in the ship. In, in, instead, they were stacked up on deck. And what happened was, is as a result of that mistake, one bomb, one bit of, turned the entire fleet into an inferno just of that mistake because he, he changed his mind. And he couldn't rearm the ships in the, the planes in time with the right bombs. It's just phenomenal. And 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 to just add one more Ashgocha story over here is the fact that um, you know the, the Americans made a mistake. They were confused, and when they left, they their, their fleet left. Um, they they didn't, they didn't they they landed up in the wrong spot. And and because they landed up in the wrong spot, they saw what was happening with the Japanese, and they. It was absolutely, it's just absolutely phenomenal. So uh, there were, the, the Ashgocha was, 
was mamish there. You can just see it when you read the story. Anyway, I just, uh, if you've got a bit of time, it's mamish um, with the background, you'll start to see how, how, uh, how good the movie is. The movie is really, really special. You know? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's totally, uh, well, so I do have the movie. It, yeah, it's, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it's, uh, it's, it's just something, uh, it's just an amazing story over here. I don't even know if you can call it Sarat, but the idea that on Pashat Balotcha, 1942. Um, give me a sec. Um, but it says there there are four key moments the task force yeah it's, it's um so they give the time in the video where the key moments are the battle of midway task force and then they've got something yeah the 20th of May and then 28th of May. Yeah, so this is before the... Um, before the battle. Yeah. So this must have been the preparation coming up to the Battle of Midway. Okay, so the... Um, the movie is called Just Midway. Just Midway. There's a, another one called The Battle of Midway documentary, National Geographic. Yeah, this one is this one is um, just called Midway. Midway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it says that you can find it on Stan. The Battle of Midway. It's just called Midway. If you, if you, oh, uh, the one that I, yeah, it was, it was, it was filmed in this. What do you call it? Produced in 2019. It's absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, some good homework for you to have a look at. And um, yeah, let me know how you like it. Thank you. Wow. Thanks. All right, go ahead. Yeah, very interesting connection. Okay, man. Have a great show. Yeah. See you soon. Yeah. All right. Brilliant. All right, take care. All the best. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Yes, yes. Good job. Go ahead. Thank Bye. you.